Galatians chapter 5. We are down over in verse 16. As we looked at the previous verses here last last week, making a stand we had to do. Because if we all saw a couple of weeks ago, we saw how hard it is to make that stand and the things that we need to, to stand in. In uh, verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, that sounds easy enough, doesn't it? Just walk in the Spirit, and the lust of the flesh you won't fulfill. That's just uh, pretty simple. Now, the word here for walk is the Greek word peripateo. It means to tread all around, to follow as a companion or voltaire, to uh, go, be occupied with, to walk about. It's a compound word. Peri means around, and pateo means to tramp upon. So basically just to, to walk around or, or an area. So he says, walk in the Spirit. In the sphere of the Spirit is where you should be walking. If you walk in this particular area, then uh, things are good. If you get outside of this particular area, that's not so good. Think of it like this. If you, uh, we just get, you know, got done football on Sunday. Uh, football on Monday, football tomorrow night. So just think about football. If you watch the football game, there is a sphere, there is a place that you are supposed to stay within. That's the football field. If you go outside of the football field, that's bad. You've got to stay inside the football field. So just think of it that way. Now, you can freely walk out of the football field, but you're not supposed to. And so the guys on the, on the, the 22 guys that are on the field make every effort to stay in the field. They catch the ball and make sure they try and keep those feet in the field. So this is what we've got to do. We've got to stay in the field. There's a lot of things trying to get you out of the field. There's things that try and get you to just be attracted and walk out of the field. There's things trying to knock you around, get you to go off. But he says if you walk in the Spirit, if you stay in this, in this sphere, in the realm of the Spirit, the lust of the flesh you won't fulfill. That's it. Just stay in, it, in this area. So if we are having problems with the lust of the flesh, what should we deduce? We're outside the field. <laughs> we're outside of the realm we're supposed to be, and that's why we're having so much trouble. So what we've got to do is get back into that sphere. Get back into that area. He says, walk in the, spirit, in the Spirit, walk in the sphere of the Spirit, literally, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Now, the word here for, for fulfill is teleo. It means to end, complete, execute, conclude, discharge, or to discharge a debt. To accomplish, make an end, expire, fill up, finish, go over, pay, perform. <laughs> so fulfill. It's going to bring it to an end. Amen. So he says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So what he's saying here is that the lust of the flesh, it has an end that is trying to bring you to. And he says, at end, you won't come to. You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You won't come to the end of what it is trying to do. Whatever it might be. And he's going to give us a list here later on. But just keep this part in mind. You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, the word there for lust means a longing, desire, or a lust. Epithumia. It's a compound word again. Epi means over. And thumos is an urge, a longing, a craving, a passion, or something that is excited. When you put these two together, you get this. Something you become extremely excited over or for. So when it's, it's using this word, lust of the flesh, there is something in the flesh that has got you extremely excited to go after. And, and because of that excitement, it's trying to pull you out of the realm that you're supposed to be in. So he goes on. 
I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill or bring to an end the lust of the flesh or that longing desire, that super excited nature that got stirred up on the inside of you. In Ephesians 2 verse 1, let's read that first. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. Before we were born again, we operated in this realm full time. This is where we lived, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. So when we live in that realm, we become children of wrath. But when we got born again, we were to be called out into a new realm, into a new place. And that's where we need to order our behavior. Put this in your outline for you. Having the lust of the flesh is not the focus here. We have the lust, lust of the flesh. That lust of the flesh is in us. We're supposed to put it to death, but it is in us. It does work. It does have that, that thing going on. Uh, for some of us, you know, some things get uh, one person excited, don't get the other person excited. And uh, it's whatever it might be that uh, for some folks, they have a drinking problem and alcohol gets them excited for the lust of the flesh. Other folks, they have, um, uh, you know, a, a shopping problem and going out to the place and spending more money than they have can get to be a problem. I'm not saying spending money is a problem. <laughs> spending more money than you have is a problem because that'll get you into other, th- other stuff. Other, other bondage. Um, there's just other, other things you can pick up, and it just stirs you up. You may not have a, have a draw to that, but there's, there's, the devil knows, Satan knows what your weaknesses are, and he's going to try and stir that one up. If you don't have an interest for it, it's not going to pull you in. You know, if you have an interest for pizza, you could overeat on pizza. If you don't have an interest in, in uh, Brussels sprouts, you probably aren't going to overeat Brussels sprouts. Because you have nothing that's going to pull you in there. I don't, just, I don't understand anybody overeating Brussels sprouts, but it might happen. Not with me. Having the lust of the flesh is not the focus here, but bringing to fulfillment is. So here's what he says, that you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Sometimes the enemy wants to get us distracted and get us pulled into the thing where we're trying to eradicate the lust of the flesh. So that we don't desire any of these things. The, the problem is not the desire. The problem is the fulfillment. He says you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So if, if the enemy can get you to focus on, you've got to eradicate that desire. You've got to get rid of that desire. You're focused on the wrong thing. You've got you to focus on, no, I'm not going to give in to that. If I stay over here walking in the spirit, I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh doesn't mean that the lust of the flesh won't rise up and try and, and pull you over. That can happen. But I'm not going to fulfill it. I'm, I'm firmly grounded in this area over here. So the enemy wants us to waste time getting rid of the possession of these things, of the lust of the flesh. The real battle should be in the meditation and execution. He's trying to get you to focus on get rid of the possession of the lust of the flesh. What you need to focus on is stop meditating on the lust of the flesh. Stop thinking about it. Stop letting it overcome your, your, your thoughts and, uh, and certainly the execution of it. As we've uh, talked about before and others have talked about, uh, you, don't, you didn't just go out and sin all of a sudden. You thought about it. You meditated on it. You, you had that desire building on the inside of you and then you went out there and fulfilled it. 
For the flesh lusts against the, the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. There are different natures, there are different spheres. If you're going to participate in the lust of the flesh, you are not going to participate in the walking in the spirit. That's just the way that it is. I heard these, these things, some people in ministry, you know, we're, news media is always making sure we hear about it. Anytime somebody in ministry uh, falls in an area of uh, a lust of the flesh as far as sexual is concerned, uh, whether it might be, you know, a priest having things going on with the little boys or, or uh, uh pastor running off with the secretary or some kind of crazy thing like that. Whatever it might be, it didn't happen overnight. And sometimes I heard the one minister they were talking about one of these situations that came up, and they said, yeah, but he was a spirit-filled pastor. And uh, they just said to him, said, well, not at that moment he wasn't. <laughs> That's about right, right? <laughs> at that time, you were not overcome with the, the, the love of God, the, the sphere of walking in the Spirit. You were overcome with other things. And that's what they uh, want to get us, to get us to focus on. The wrong, the, the wrong stuff. You're, you're fighting the wrong battle. Stop meditating on it. Stop giving in to, to all, that, all that meditation and, and thinking about it over and over and over. No, don't be doing that. The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another. They're different natures. One's going to fight against the other. If you get two magnets, you know, one that's uh, different, opposite polarities, polarities they, they, they pull each other in. But you can get it so that they repel each other too. And they push each other away. The flesh and the spirit are that way. They will repel each other. They're, they're opposite. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. I want to do that. Paul talks about this in Romans. I, I want to be doing this. I want to be doing what God says to do. I want to be doing the will of God. But I keep finding myself over here doing these things. So what should we do? Walk in the sphere of the, the, sphere of the spirit. Stay in that area. <laughs> We're trying to get past that. Not to do that. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So what this basically means is this. If you will order your behavior by what the Spirit of God says, there is no law that you need to be under. Because the Spirit of God will never lead you contrary to the law of God. You will always find your behavior within the order of the law. So instead of trying to find out what the law says and live up to it, just follow the Spirit. Listen to what the Spirit says. Because the Spirit's going to lead you in good ways. He's a good helper. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. The word here for evident is uh, the Greek word phaneros, means shining. We get some of our English words, fun words from that. Uh, apparent, public, e external, known, manifest, open, outward. They are uh, attention-grabbing. When you do these things, it is there for people to see. You might try and hide some of them from some, but they're, they're going to be still evident to others. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness, he starts off with. Adultery, that's a, a sexual behavior between at least one married person, two people, man and a wife, or man and a woman, I'm sorry, uh, a man and a woman, one of them is at least married. They don't have to both be married for it to be adultery, but one of them is married and the other one is not. Uh, fornication, that's sex between two people who are not married. Uncleanness, could be a, a whole host of things. I've seen all sorts of things. Some people define this as uh, sex outside of the other two aforementioned, aforementioned uh, activities. 
So sex between a man and a woman with one of them being married or sex between a man and a woman with neither of them being married, anything outside of that would be under uncleanness. So you're talking about uh, sex with a man and a man, woman and a woman, um, and the list goes on. <laughs> we don't need to get into all that list. That's uh, one of the things that, we, that can be done. I, was gonna, I brought over um, Rick Renner's discussion on this, and he gets into some of the uh, definitions. I'll read a few of them here for you. Uh, we already did adultery. He, he defines uncleanness this way. It refers to lewd or unclean thoughts that eventually produce lewd or unclean actions. It strongly suggests that these actions begin in the mind as unclean thoughts before they manifest as unclean deeds. Uh, Lasciviousness. New King James puts it a little bit differently, but uh, I wrote that one in your outline. This word in the Greek text describes excess, but it primarily refers to the excessive consumption of food or wild, undisciplined living that is especially marked by unbridled sex. So that's what it defines that one. Idolatry, I think we all pretty much have a handle on that one, but he says it here, depicts the worship of idols, or simply put, idolatry, the act of idolatry, transpires when an individual gives his complete undivided attention, devotion, passion, love, or commitment to a person, project, or object other than God. With something other than God takes first place in a person's mind, he has entered at least to a measure into the sin of idolatry. Witchcraft is from the Greek word pharmakeia, the Greek word for medicines or drugs that inhibit a person's personality or change his behavior. We would call these mind-altering drugs. The Greek word pharmakeia is where we connect with sorcery, magic, or sorry, we get the words pharmakeia. Uh, wow. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> can't even say that. Drugs are the word pharmacy. The word is, was used in connection with sorcery, magic, or witchcraft. However, for our purposes in today's world, the word witchcraft describes the flesh attempts to avoid being confronted and changed. I thought that was an interesting uh, part there in the, on the bottom. It describes the flesh's attempts to avoid being confronted and changed. Hmm. Uh, hatred, the Greek word... Uh, it's hard for me to read these in English. Ekthra pictures people who cannot get along with each other. They have deep issues with each other, holding resentments, grievances, complaints, and grudges that go way back in time and have very deep roots. Something occurred along the way that caused one or both of them to be offended. Instead of letting it go, they are divided, hostile, and fiercely oppose each other. They are antagonistic, aggressive, and harsh. They hate each other. They have a grudge and are determined to hold on to their offense. Uh, the next word was, he puts in here is variance. I think the New King James says it uh, differently. Uh, probably contentions. The Greek word eris depicts a bitter, bitterly mean spirit that is so consumed with its own self-interest and self-ambitions that it would rather split and divide than to admit it is wrong or to give an inch to an opponent. This is exactly why churches end up divided and families frequently dissolve. Most of the issues that bring such division are not that important. Nevertheless, division occurs because the flesh simply hates to surrender, to admit that it's wrong, or to let someone else be right or to compromise. Flesh would rather blow issues all out of proportion and wreak havoc than to let someone else have their way. Next word, emulations. The Greek word, zealous. 
is used in a negative sense to depict a person who is upset because someone else achieved more or received more. Therefore, that first person is jealous, envious, resentful, and filled with ill will for that, for that other person who received the blessing that he wanted. As a result of not getting what he desired, the first person is irritated, infuriated, irate, annoyed, provoked, and fuming that the other person did get it. In short, you could say that this person is really incensed and ticked off. Wrath. The Greek word thumos is used throughout the New Testament to picture a person who is literally boiling with anger about something. Although the person tries to restrain this anger by shoving it down deeper into his soul, it intermittently flares up. When that happens, this person is like a volcano that suddenly blows its top, scorching everything within its reach as it hurls its load of deadly molten lava onto the entire surrounding landscape. The next word, strife. The word, erethia, describes a self-seeking ambition that is more concerned about itself and the fulfillment of its own wants, desires, and pleasures than it is in meeting the same needs in others. When this word is used, it is working in someone's life. It means that a person's principal concern is to take care of himself and to get what he wants. He is so bent on getting what he wants that he is willing to do anything, say anything, or sacrifice any standard rule or relationship to achieve his goals. Because this self-consumed, self-focused attitude is engrossed with its own desires and ambitions, it is blinded to the desires and ambitions of other people. Seditions, he puts in here as the next one. The Greek word means to stand apart as one who rebels and steps away from someone to whom he should have been loyal. Thus, the word seditions gives the impression of disloyalty. It is the ultimate act of defiance or disloyalty to an established authority. The word for heresies carries the idea of a group of people who adhere to the same doctrine or who or who ardently follow the same leader and are sectarian. The adherents of a sect usually limit in their scope and close to outsiders stay primarily to themselves. In the New Testament times, these groups were considered to be unauthorized because they were not submitted to the authority of the church leadership. In today's contemporary language, we would call them cliques, a group of people who believe or conduct themselves as if they were exclusive. The next word, envying implies a deep felt grudge because someone possesses what a person wishes was his own. Because this person has a chip on his shoulder, he begrudges what the other person possesses and is covetous of that person's belongings, accomplishments, relationships, or title in life. Every time he sees the other person, he in inwardly sees about his success. He deeply resents that person's blessings and tries to figure out a way to seize it away from the person he envisions, uh, I'm sorry, word he, the person he envies in order to make it his own. Drunkenness, to, to um, refers to strong drink or to drunkenness. The consumption of wine for the sake of intoxication was common in the first century due to many pagan religions that employed wine as part of their religious practices. A drunken state suppressed the mind's ability to think correctly and releases releases the flesh to fully express itself. The believers in the first century were trying to walk free from the power of their flesh. The last thing they needed was to drink wine, inhibit their ability to think cor correctly. 
revive the flesh, and do things that were sinful or damaging. This is why Paul urged them to leave the wine alone. <laughs> Revelings, the word komoiak, English, describes a person who can't bear the thought of boredom and therefore constantly seeks forms of amusement or entertainment. This person is actually afraid of being bored, so he constantly contemplates what he can do next to have fun or to be entertained. The word means or word can refer to a person who endlessly eats at parties or who seeks constant laughter and hilarity. Although there is nothing wrong with laughter, this person is consumed with the need for comedy, light moments, fun, pleasure, entertainment, or constant eating. He lives for the next meal, the next restaurant, the next movie, and the next vacation. So that's his uh, description. He does a nice job of giving us the pictures of those, so I thought it would be good to, to read that and to see. And the like. He's, uh, uh, other things that are like that. Well, flesh, uh, you can tell what it's like. And he's just giving you a list here, and there's other things that are like that, and that people will, will pursue it. It's uh, basically, you know, we're not saying no to anything. We're just doing whatever it is that we, we want to do, whether it's beneficial or whether it's not. I want to do it, therefore I'm going to. But it says that these things are evident. They will be shining. They will be uh, lit up. You know, it's, it's a good thing to be lit, but lit up. How, how many of that? I've, we're, we're doing, after Sunday, I, I never look forward to Sunday, the last, this last Sunday in November, or the first Sunday in November, because it's the end of daylight saving time. I think daylight saving time should be all year long. I'm, I'd be a proponent for that. I was so glad when they pushed it back and they went into November and it wasn't being done in October. But, you know, now it's, it's dark so much sooner, and it's just going to get darker sooner and sooner all the way through in December. And stuff like that. So, uh, you know, we're out running. Most of the time we're out running. It's dark. It's dark. So you got to go out and you got to be illuminated. And, and so we have stuff on there that's, uh, I mean, my shoes have reflective stuff on it. I have a vest on that has reflective stuff. Most of the shorts and most of the shirts I wear have reflective material built in. I have a hat that is reflective and has lights in it. I have these little blinking lights that do with magnets will stick onto a sleeve, a collar, a pocket, whatever it might be, and you put them on, push the button, and they just start lighting up, and they just flash here and flash there. So I've, I've told people, I said, if anybody hits me at nighttime when I'm running, they wanted to, because I, <laughs> I am illuminated. I have light colors on. I don't have any black uh, long, long sleeves or anything. I have white stuff on. I have fluorescent yellow. I have bright green. I have orange. I mean, if I'm, if I'm out there, I am I am not, uh, I was just coming over here on, on Sunday, and I turned the corner, and you know, this is uh, 3 a.m. in the morning, and I'm turning the corner, and here's this person walking in the street. I turned the corner, walking in the street with a black hoodie on and gray pants, dark gray. And I, <laughs> I tell you what, I, it's a good thing they weren't a little bit more out in the street, because I probably would have hit them, because they were not visible. There's nothing on them that, that said they wanted to be visible. That's, uh, why are you wearing a black sweatshirt anyway at the nighttime? Get something light on. You want it to be glowing. So <laughs> what he is saying is, is, is this, is that when you participate in the acts of the flesh, you're lit up. People can see. And, uh, you know, that's just something the way people carry themselves when they constantly give in to their flesh as compared to people who constantly give in to their spirit. There's just difference, a difference about them. And that's what he's talking about here. So anyway, these are the, the things we, he got into and uh, was looking at. 
and the like, as he said, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the word there for practice, we just went over this a couple of weeks ago on Sunday morning. Uh, such things, as it comes from the Greek word praso, it means to perform repeatedly or habitually. It is different from another word to do, which is also translated to do or to accomplish, which refers to single or occasional acts. However, I looked up some of these uh, of here, and it is of note. You can go through here, and you, if you want to take a look at the two Greek words, I, I spelled them out in your outline there for you. I did spell them out in your outline for you, didn't I? You, know, both? you can look them up if you want to. But in Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, poieo is used. Wherever therefore breaks one, whoever... Whoever therefore breaks one of these, can't even read right now. Breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does—that's our, our Greek word there, poieo—and whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of of heaven. Whoever does. Now it's not using the word to habitually do it. It's using the word that means more uh, occasional. Uh, so, so what it's talking about here is, because uh, I've meditated on this for a while, I said, why wouldn't you use the word habitually? Wouldn't you want to do that all the time? Well, the, the commandments that are in the Word of God, there are some commandments, thou shalt not murder. How, are you in the, the habit of not murdering people? I mean, really, no, we're not. We're not I will, I will not, I'm not going to murder. No, I'm not going to murder that person. <laughs> we, we don't habitually do this. It may occasionally come up, that I have to say, you know what? I may want to right now, but <laughs> that may occasionally come up, but it doesn't come up all the time, right? It's, it's not there all the time. When there's a law of God that says, thou shalt not do something, we're not necessarily fighting the desire to do that all the time. So I think that's why he was picking more of this, uh, this word to use it in these kind of situations. Matthew seven twelve. therefore all things, whatever you, you do that men should do to you, do, do even so to them. So whatever I want done to me, I need to do it to them. That's the same word poieo is there, which means on occasion, which, which but means that I'm not in the habit of doing these things for people all the time. So put it this way. If you want somebody to help you move, what should you do? Help them move. How many people are out here would say, I move somebody every day? No, that wears out. <laughs> but there are some things that we do and we want other people to come in to help us do. You know, I say move because we just you know, got done another move that we did for uh, uh, Jolly and them. And I'll tell you what, every time we move and I move other people, I'm thinking, glory to God, it's not me. <laughs> I, I think that all, all the time. I think, glory to God, it's not me. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to move other people and then you, you move the stuff and then you leave. Yeah. Right? You're gone. You're out of there. But the, for the people who, who you moved, they got to stay there. They got to put all that stuff away and move stuff and do stuff with it. We just moved it. We just got it into place and we're, we're out of there. Right? That's, uh, that's all gone. But see, there's, there's something. It's not, it's not a habitual action, but it's something when the need comes up, when the occasion arises, I go ahead and I do that. And I think that's why I was using that kind of thing more. But when you get into these acts of the flesh, it's a habitual thing. It keeps pulling you in all the time. Hateful people are hateful every day. They feel that hate every day. Every situation that something doesn't go their way, they feel that envy. Envious people, they feel envy all the time. Whenever they see something, you're not even thinking anything about it. You think, well, they got a nice car. It's great. No, oh, I should have that car. They shouldn't have that car. But you don't think that way. 
Because that, that's, that's not your habit. But this is what people do. They, they have this habit. And they just keep constantly get pulled into it. You know, there are, there are Christians who go out there and maybe they have a drink here and there. Maybe they have some wine or they, they do something like that. And they do that on an occasion. But there are some people, they can't pass a bar without going inside and having something. We, we don't, that, that's the habitual thing. It's taking them over. And we've got to be careful of that those things don't get a hold of us. Because they will try. They will try and get you to do that. He says, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He's been talking in these previous chapters about becoming an heir. But he says, if you get in, caught up in these things, forget that. You're not inheriting nothing. You are not coming to a place of inheritance. That is not coming to you. Verse 22. But, in contrast to the, <laughs> to the works of the flesh... But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, we've talked about this enough times. Everybody here knows about this already. The fruit of the Spirit is one fruit, love. But has many manifestations. But the fruit is always the same. It is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Not are. Not the fruit of the Spirit are. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy. Well, joy is an outgrowth of love. If you don't have enough joy in your life, what do you need more of? Love. Peace. Perfect love. Cast out all fear. You can cast out all fear. You can have peace, right? Long-suffering. The reason that we don't have long-suffering is because we are in love with ourselves. I mean, right? (laughs) Whenever I fall out of long-suffering, my love for myself has won out. Over love for God and over love for others. Because, you know, I'm being inconvenienced here. And so I'm not going to long suffer anymore. That doesn't mean that you... I mean, Jesus was... He, he was long suffering. But there are times he said, y'all need to, y'all need to get with it here. It doesn't mean you don't uh, tell people to, to shape up. That's, long suffering is not that you just let everybody do whatever they want to do. Because God doesn't let us do whatever we want to do. He comes along with us and He corrects us. He helps us. That's not long-suffering. Long-suffering is not just everybody does whatever they want to to you and you just put up with it. That's stupid. Don't be doing that. Long-suffering is doing the things that God has called you to do and being happy about it. No matter who it is that comes against you, no matter who it is that messes with you, no matter who it is that tries to mess up what it is that you're doing, you just keep going. Paul was long-suffering in the ministry. He kept going and preaching the Word, going and preaching the Word. People would stone him. People would beat him. People would curse at him. People would have riots. What'd he do? He kept going to the next place. He'd preach it there. He'd preach it there. He's constantly being beaten for this thing. Does he stop? No, that's long-suffering. But if somebody got off in a doctrine, what did he say? Well, I'll just suffer with you. You know, we'll just get you. No, what'd he do? He wrote him a letter. He'd confront him. He said, you need to quit that. These are the people, the examples we are to do. But you see, Satan wants to come in. He wants to mess with your, your head. He wants to tell you, you no, know, long-suffering is you just put up with all this junk people have and you just take it. Stop being a junkyard. People don't need to deposit their junk in your yard. Make them take it home. Keep that to themselves. It's, you don't need to have that going on. That's not long-suffering. If God has called you to... Mentor someone to help them. You're going to have a little bit of long-suffering with that person. But it doesn't mean you just put up with whatever it is they want to do.
If you see something, you go out to God and say, God, I see something that's not lining up here. What do I do with that? And God will say, correct it this way. Do this. Let it go for right now. Nope. Take care of it right now. Listen to him. And and you get out there and, and take care of the thing. If he says, no, just ignore that right now. We'll deal with that down the road. Then you just ignore it. You don't tell them, you know, that's perfectly well fine. You go ahead and do that. You don't have to do that. They say, well, is it all right that I'm doing this? You tell you what, you, you don't mess with that right now. We'll deal with that down the road. You haven't condoned it. You haven't said that's okay. We'll deal with that down the road. Right now we're working on these things. Let's work on this. Let's work on what God has given us to do. So don't misunderstand what long-suffering is. Kindness. Being kind. When other people treat you rudely, what are you? Kind. That's what we do. Why? Because they deserve it? No. Because kindness is in me. You just be kind. Just always be kind. Listen to the answers that you have for other people. Was that a kind answer? Did people feel good when they left you? Kindness. You ought to be kind. Too, too often we just get to be harsh with people. You know, they haven't done something we want to do. They're not doing the thing we want to do. Kindness. Operating kindness. Goodness. You know, some people just aren't good. They don't, don't have that good nature about them. Be good. Just the opposite of goodness is badness. There's, we, can, we can tell bad people that are out there. Don't be one of them. Be one of the good guys. Faithfulness. It's good to be faithful. It's good to have faithfulness. It's, that's not the be-all and end-all. Some people say, well, I've been faithful. All right, but have, have you been effective? Have you been obedient? I've been doing the, what God has said to do. Don't just be faithful. Be faithful doing what God said to do. Gentleness. I'll tell you what, we miss out a whole lot of that gentleness that's, that's going on on some things. And um, a lot of harshness. A lot of times people like to come in and just just be harsh and just be be um, be nasty with some things. And we just we don't need to do it. We don't need to do it. We we tend to like harshness. You know, when we see other people being harsh and, oh, yeah, yeah, that's the way we ought to do. You know, especially in the football world, you see a coach and they're harsh. And people say, oh, they've got to respect for that. He's, he's harsh. I respect guys like Chip Kelly, Andy Reid, and guys we've had here in Philadelphia. I mean, they didn't. Chip Kelly just said recently, that, remember there was a, a player on their team, and he came out, he was uh, mad they won the game, but he got burned on a couple of uh, long passes. And he came out and says, we're too tired. And he said, we're working us too hard in practice. And they came and they asked Chip Kelly about that. I said, what do you think about your player saying that? And he says, well, this is, uh, uh, well, he and I will have a conversation. I think he was just, he just made it so light and just kind of brushed over it. He was just so gentle with it. It never became an issue. Could have become a big issue. Never became an issue. And, uh, but he was very gentle with it. But he, uh, it's what you got to do. Just, I, the Word of God says that a kind answer, a gentle answer turns away wrath. We've got, we got to find those kind, those gentle answers more. Be looking for them. Self-control. Self-control, sometimes we think about this, not doing something to the degree that we want to do it. And that certainly is true. But self-control also means doing those things that we ought to do. Not just not doing those things we ought to do, but doing those things that we should do. A self-controlled person in school does their homework. Something that you do. A self-controlled person doesn't just go out and 
uh, visit all the uh, social activities that the school has to offer. They get out there and they, they do the work as well. That's a self-controlled person. What are those things that you have, have said, I am going to do these things, I am not going to do these things? A self-controlled person keeps their behavior ordered in those, in those spheres. Against such, he says, there is no law. Is there a law against being too joyful? Or having too much peace? Being too long-suffering? Being too kind? Being too good? Is there a law about being too faithful? Too gentle? Is there a law about being self-controlled? No, he says there's no law. There's nothing in the Word of God about it. These things are good. So if there's no law against these things, these things are good to do. Go on out there and do it. But this is the fruit of the Spirit. If you walk and order your behavior in the sphere, in the realm of the Spirit, this is the kind of fruit you will have. The fruit of love. And you will have joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Just stay within the sphere of the Spirit. Love will have its work on the inside of you. So there's no law against these things. He goes on in verse 24. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I thought about this for a while. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but, you know, we still got some desires inside, inside of us for some things that we probably shouldn't have. They're, they're, they still sometimes come up. And, and crucified, I was thinking, and thinking, I don't know if this is exactly what Paul had in mind, but when you crucify somebody, they stay up there on the cross and they're alive for a while. But they can't go anywhere. They can't do anything. They're pretty much powerless. But they're still alive. Maybe what his idea here is, is we are to crucify the flesh, make it so that it's powerless. All right, it's still in our life. We can't get rid of it until we die. But um, it can't do anything. It's been crucified. It's hanging up there. I don't know if that's exactly what he had in mind, but that's what kind of thing I get in the picture. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Because the flesh will have these things. We've got to bring that thing under control. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we're going to live in the Spirit, if we're going to live in the, spi- in the, in the sphere of the Spirit, we should walk. We should order our behavior. We should be, uh, when we're going about our daily life, this is the area that we should be in. Walking in joy. Walking in peace. Walking in long-suffering. Walking in all the things that, uh, that we need to have. This is where we stay. As soon as we get out of walking in the Spirit, we're going to see a lack of peace. We're going to see a lack of goodness. We're going to see a lack of self-control, long-suffering. These things are going to become void in our life. Get back and walking in the realm of the Spirit. It's what we need to, need to do. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So if we're not living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, here's the other side we're going to get into. We're going to become conceited. People who are not walking in the Spirit become conceited. They think they are all that. And God is lucky to have me on His team. And look at all the things I bring to the table for God. Look at all the things I've been doing for God. We become conceited about this. God, you see how much I put up with with these people? Huh. It's a good thing I'm on your side. You're lucky to have me. We become conceited. We begin to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. And that's not the place we go. Once we get that conceited air, we start to provoke one another. Conceited people, don't, have you been around conceited people? 
Do they not provoke you? Do they not make you think, man, how do you live in the same house with yourself? There's not enough room there. And they begin to provoke each other. And this is not something that we need to have. This is, you know, you, you walk into some churches. Churches have church splits and things like this. Well, somebody got off and they started beginning to think more of themselves. And they started to provoke people. And then some people started going this way and some people started going this way. Some people were drawn to them. Some people were drawn away from them. And then pretty soon they have a big enough group. They decide to, to split off and to go. That's what they do. Envying one another. I ought to have that. I don't know why they got it. They're not that. They haven't been saved as long. They haven't been doing as much. Look how much I do for God. I begin to envy the things other people have. Don't get envious. Don't let the news media push you into that place of being envious. Don't let people push you into a place of being envious. Just because other people got something doesn't mean that you can't have it too. That's it's, it's an area that, that they're going to try and pull us into, though. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. How do we continue to walk in the Spirit? How do we keep that up? Well, first off, you ought to be praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit stirs up that, that heavenly language. You start praying things that you don't necessarily know, but God knows, and He prays that the will of God. You need to be reading the Word. Reading the Word. We, of course, we all here at the church read our chapter every day. Right? We're reading the way. Because you, you want to you study the Word, but you want to read the Word. Make sure you do both. Amen. Don't just do one or the other. Read to sit down sometimes and just read the Word. Other times you sit down and you study the Word. Other times you go off and you meditate on the Word. You're just thinking about the Word. Going over the Word. Thinking about the Word. Thinking about the Word. Thinking about the Word. Thinking about... Meditating. 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 And stuff will come to you. I have more stuff come to me when I'm meditating on the Word than any other time anymore. Just meditating on the Oh. I see that. Yeah. Oh, it's, I love when those kind of things happen. Meditate on the Word. But if you don't read the Word, then you're not giving yourself enough food to meditate on. If you're not studying the Word, you're not putting the, the Word in you so that you can meditate on it later on. You want to make sure that you're able to do that. Meditate on the Word. Pray in the Spirit. Talk with God. Give what you have. Make sure you do that. Give what you got. Don't just hoard up what you got. Make sure if you learn something, find an opportunity. Make sure you listen to the Spirit of God. But find an opportunity to sow into someone else the thing that you got. Because as you sow into someone else, more is going to be given to you. You keep doing these kind of things, you're going to keep your, your behavior ordered in the area of the Spirit. Read the Word. Study the Word. Meditate the Word. Pray in the Spirit. Talk with God constantly and give what you got. Do these things. You're going to find yourself staying in the area of the Spirit. Well, to walk in the Spirit is to obey God, right? If we obey God all the time, we're walking in the, in the sphere of the Spirit. First off, we love God. There's a love for God. We love God if we do His will. So we love God, we do His will. We do the will of God. How do we know that we love God? We do His will. And then number three, we, we love others. Love others. Just love other people. doesn't mean you put up with everything that other people want to do, but you can still love them. You love your kids, but you don't put up with everything that they do. Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So he's saying if you function in these two commandments, you will not break any law. And Paul is saying there is no law against the fruit of the Spirit. Keep yourself in that, in that area. Both, both basically hitting the same thing. Amen. When we walk in the flesh, we're basically obeying another. We're obeying ourselves. We're obeying, obeying other people. Or we're obeying Satan. We're doing a, obedience one or the other places. Make sure that you, you walk in the Spirit. Obey God. Love God. Go after Him. Father, we thank You for the help that You give us to keep us in the sphere of the Holy Spirit. That's where we want to stay, in the sphere of the Holy Spirit, walking, ordering our behavior in that realm. Father, our life is so much better there. We just need to stay on the field of play that you have outlined. And we will, we will do that. We won't give in to the flesh, the lust of the flesh, the things that try and pull us out, the things that try and get us off the field so that we're no longer a player, no longer legally able to operate on the field of play. Father, we're going to stay in the realm that you gave us, the place that you outlined. Not questioning why we need to be here, why it's only this big, why it doesn't go out here, but Father, just doing what you said in your word. We thank you for the help that you give us in that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.